0: Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from our guest speaker. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Wow, wasn't that awesome? If you can't preach after that, your wood's wet. That's, that's something. And um, it's great to be here with you. I'm honored to be a, a part of you today. Uh, and this this celebration as the Church of Jesus Christ, like some people say, you know does the church have a mission and uh, And I think the reality is is that 's the wrong question. The question is, does the mission, which is christ 's mission, have a church and um, and so it 's fun for me to be here and see how this church is pointing its guns in many places outside and uh, and looking so thank you for. For uh, supporting so many different ministries around. I, I've been personally uh, uh, helped. I, you guys have cooperated in help, helping us plant a church in downtown Toronto, of which my daughter and son and two grandchildren are part of that church plant which you're a part of which is you know pretty amazing and now you guys are are starting to work in a church in Portland with uh, Kevin Lott and and so just just awesome thank you for your giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering record givings again and so just just awesome and thank you for that and it helps get the word out and that's kind of the deal um, I want to. I want to just talk about something. Like, I have an iPhone here, state of the art iPhone 6, I think it is, and uh, <laughs> it has a, an operating system in it that I. I it. It. I, I have to go to iTunes and get the apps from iTunes, but there's there's some kind of operating system inside this thing that tells you give kind of gives the rules of how this thing works, right? And so some of you might have an Android, and it has a different operating system, and the, the, the apps on this one are not going to work on that one, are they? They're, they're just absolutely not going to work. Well, there is operating systems that govern everything. And, um, and the world has an operating system, and the kingdom of God has an operating system, and they're entirely two different operating systems. The world's operating system, tell me if this sounds familiar to you. It goes something like this. Well, we need the biggest, the best, the strongest, the fastest, the prettiest, the whatever the est is, and we kind of have a pecking order of how we how we rate on that order, right? And so, whatever the category is, um, we don't. None of us in this room perform very well because there's always somebody we can find that's prettier, richer, stronger, smarter, isn't there? There's always that, and so sometimes we sense. And if can you go, go back to a time in your life where you knew in your spirit God was speaking to you, and saying, "I want you to this," and uh, and you were kind of used to the world's operating system, and you go, hmm but I'm not the best, I'm not the richest, I don't have the most time, I'm not the whatever EST, and you can think of lots of people who should do the thing that you heard the Spirit say to you to do, and maybe maybe you backed off from that, because from cover to cover, the world's operating system and the kingdom of God's operating system are antithetical. The kingdom of God's operating system is not if you're the weak, the strongest, the biggest, the whatever. It's weakest from the beginning to the end of Scripture. We see this meta narrative of Scripture is that God uses weak people, and I'll be bolder and say I believe God only uses weak people. Now let that settle in a little bit. Um, God is going to start a whole new nation. And so he goes to he goes to the old folks' home, and he sees Abraham and Sarah, and he says, hey, Abraham and Sarah, I need, you need to be the parents uh, of a whole new generation, 80 years old. That seems to make a great sense, right? That's your plan. That's, but that's not out of character for God. That seems to be not the exception, but the rule. You just start w- w- going through the scripture, and you're just seeing this, you know, who's going to be my spokesman? Why don't I get... Stuttering Moses. Why don't we get Moses to be my spokesman? Gideon, you're hiding in the ditch. I'm going to call you mighty man of valor. And I'm going to have you raise up an army. And you're going to do incredible things in my kingdom. And so Gideon, okay, he does. He eventually believes and he does. And, uh, and he starts working. And God says, Gideon, Gideon, you got too many. Shave your army down to 300 and, uh, and you 300 go after the tens of thousands because then we're kind of working in my operating system, not your operating system. Israel wants a king. And so Israel goes to the world's operating system and said, who could be our king? Let's find the tallest and the richest and the biggest and the best. Let's find King Saul. And so they named King Saul their king, which wasn't ever God's idea. And then Samuel starts looking for a king. And he goes where? He goes to the weakest tribe. And he goes and finds a family. And he says, go bring out your boys. And he brings out the boys. And they start, they're, they're brought out to him from strongest to weakest. And he goes, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't see the king here. And he goes, don't you have another one? He goes, well, I got one more. He's just a little guy. He's not really much. Bring him out. That's the one, David. Even think of the incarnation, Jesus. God is going to somehow reveal himself, king of glory. And how does he do it? He doesn't just go to um, put, put somehow, which is hard enough for us to get our minds around. How do you put God into the body of a baby? That just blows your mind, right? And then, not just any baby, but out in the backside of nowhere. Out in the backside of nowhere, Nazarene, the people who didn't count, the people whose opinion didn't matter, you're going to be the, the one here that goes and makes this thing come forward. This was the plan from the beginning to the end. His disciples, Jesus starts picking them. I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. And he picks this ragtag guy's group of people who were misfits. And, uh, and this was plan A, plan B. And yet we see, as we see, something happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Something happened to this group of people. So Jesus spends three and a half years teaching the kingdom of God. 86 times he mentions the kingdom of God. Two times he mentions the church. 86 2, 86 2. Just think of that order. See, the church is powerful when the kingdom is the goal. But when the church is the goal, the church is never powerful. So, Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God for three and a half years. He's crucified, he's raised again. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he spends 40 days with his disciples. Can you imagine that? 40 days hanging out with the resurrected Jesus. And what does he teach? The Bible says for 40 days he appeared to him alive, showed many convincing proofs that he's alive, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is what everything looks like when Jesus gets his way. It's what your marriage looks like when Jesus gets his way is what your church looks like when Jesus gets his way. It's, it's how things work. And everything outside of the kingdom of God, the world's operating system, is a dog-eat-dog place. It breaks things, it kills things, it destroys things. And sometimes, I think, we miss out on the greatest joy that we will ever have because our mind is on the world's operating system. And we forget what the kingdom is about. So I want to read a passage of scripture to you that you know very well. It's found in Ephesians chapter three. And I want you to read it with different eyes, if you would, with me. Not the eyes that somehow we're used to, thinking we don't measure up. God spoke to us thinking we don't have enough money, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough whatever it is we think we don't have enough. Look at it through kingdom eyes, the passage before it was Paul explaining to the Ephesians how much God loves them. See, that's, that's, how we, that's how we walk by faith, is we start with a very solid basis that the God who is asking this silly thing from you loves you. He's not going to destroy you. He loves you. With that as a basis in verse 20, now to him who is able To do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, let's just pull this apart. What's the very first word there? Anybody? Now, now, because that's that's when we walk by faith. It, we can't walk by faith in the future. I sp- to spend too much time trying to do that one, to be honest. I'm always thinking about the future. We can't walk by faith when we're paralyzed with the past. We can only walk by faith when the Spirit of God speaks to our spirit and says, uh, you're weak, Jeff, but I'm asking you to go here. And when can we go here? Now. We go here now. And we see something happen. Like, for me... I've been a church planter most of my adult life, and uh, translate means I'm always broke. <laughs> and um, and I, never, I never had the resources to take my wife on a honeymoon when we first got married. And so 15 years in, I thought, you know, i got to take that poor woman on a honeymoon eventually. And so I watched this American Express commercial, and, uh, and it just inspired this very romantic thing I didn't know I had. And um, and I I plan this this thing, so I go and I buy a, a tickets tickets to a resort in the Mayan Riviera, and um, and I don't tell my wife about it. And I go and I call her. She works at a college. I call her dean and said, Hey, can it can it be possible that um, she has these days off and you don't tell her, and uh, and you just take care of things for? Her? Is that possible? And. And this person thought, well, that'd be kind of a challenge. I'll try that. Sure. Okay. Then I go through her appointment book personally, and I start seeing all her things. I start calling them up and say, hey, uh, Laura won't be there. I can't tell you why, but it's all good. Thanks. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, I ca- cancel her whole all, everything is going on i'm thinking you know check and going through my mind do i forget anything oh clothes um i'm gonna, she's gonna need clothes and i can't pack her stuff because she'll be missing it so you know how hard could this be and so i'm going through her drawers and finding out sizes and writing them down and you ladies are complicated that's all i can say <laughs> us guys you know small medium large you know you got us and you got sizes and things and that's you're, you're complicated and uh, so I'm in the, I'm in the mall <laughs> and um, I'm in the place I probably shouldn't be, you know, and I'm um, looking, looking at stuff I don't usually look at and I'm just looking at it and looking at my sheet and looking at things and thinking, okay, I think it's this one and I'm going through that and this one lady comes up to me and goes, Pastor Jeff, is that you? <laughs> No, no, just <laughs> some guy that looks a lot like him. I hear <laughs> and uh, so I made her, I promised her that she had to promise not I'd tell her the story. And and so everything was everything was going. And so now we get time to go to the airport, and I'm taking a friend with me to drive the car back, but she thinks the two of us are going to speak and she's dropping us off. So we, we get to the airport, and she goes, When do I pick you up? And I said, I can't remember. Here's the ticket. What does it say? It's got her name on it. It says, Cancun. Like, what? And yeah, yeah. I guess that's what we're doing. And uh, and then you know, I, I, you know, go big or go home, right? So I, I, I planned a surprise every day, including her sister-in-law who's going to come from Chile and meet us there. And like every day, there was something going on. And uh, and I'm going, honey, this is going to be so much fun. This is going to be so much fun. And she finally goes, Jeff, this is fun, but I'm missing it. Because I'm on the next one, and I'm missing this one. When God speaks to us, he speaks to us to our weakness, and we can only respond when? Now. And how do we respond when we're weak? We go where? To him, the Bible says. To him. Because he ain't weak. You want to know how strong he is? I was trying to help our church get a picture of this. And so I'm saying, we're going to draw, uh, make a a scale of the universe. And I took a soccer ball and I clipped a grain of rice in half. So I have a scale of the earth, around two millimeters, soccer ball. And said, okay, I brought a guy up and I said, here, you hold the soccer ball, I'll hold the earth. You tell me where the closest star is. How far should it be? I don't know. He goes, well, just guess. And so he goes and he backs up a few steps, maybe a few yards down. He goes, Here? And I go, well, actually, if we're making this to scale, it's, I only knew it in metric. It was 22 meters, 25, 27 yards, something like that. So he paces those off. And so now he's holding the sun. I got the, I got the earth. And uh, I get another guy. And I said, come on up here. I got another star here for you. Give him a soccer ball. I said, where's this one go? I want you to pace this one out. And he goes, he's wise to us now. This can be a long way out, he goes. So this is going to be like a mile away, right? And I go, well, yeah, maybe. I said, actually, from here in Toronto, it's Lima, Peru. Star two. There's billions and billions and billions of them. We just did two, and we can't get the third one on Earth to make our model. How big am I on that half a grain of rice? How strong are my strengths? How weak are my weaknesses? It's irrelevant, it's a silly conversation. So now, we're overwhelmed because we are weak and God has spoken to us in faith and asked us to take a step of faith. The only thing we can do is go where? To him. Not after we try everything else. We go to him, why? The Bible says because he is able. That that work that word for is able comes out kind of mamby-pamby in English, but in, in Greek it really comes from the word, where the word, we get the word dynamite. He has power. And he is able, the Bible says, not just to talk. We're good at talking, aren't we? We're talking, 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 until we talk ourselves out of something. When we know that God has asked us to take a step of faith. He isn't able to talk, he is able to do. He is able to take whatever that thing he's asked me to do, take that step of faith, and it seems impossible, but he's able to do something. And how much is he able to do? Well, go back to that half a grain of rice. Imagine yourself on there. How big, when you look at this universe, how big is the perspective of the person on the grain of rice? Pretty puny, isn't it? But he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything we could ask or even imagine. Because we really can't imagine too much in our weakness on this grain of rice. We don't see the parts that are moving. We don't have the perspective. But someone does. And Paul was trying to get this thing across to us. And he he didn't have Greek words for it. So he had to invent them. He took, he took one word, which is uber, where we get our word super, or German uber, and he takes another one and puts them together. <laughs> and he says, basically, this wasn't good Greek, but pretty good English, he's able to do super duper more than anything we can ask or imagine. Some of you think you've got a pretty big imagination. Some of you think you don't have much imagination at all. It's irrelevant. What God is asking us to do is now... When he speaks to our faith, our weakness, we don't compare ourselves to the people who are the biggest, the strongest, the best. We go back to our weakness say, hey, it's okay, because I'm going to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything I could ask or imagine. Why is this so important? Because it isn't, the next phrase shows us, it's got nothing to do with us. It's according to what? His power that is at work within us. For anything spiritual to happen, it requires a miracle. For for Trent, I mean for uh, Kevin's Trent, for Kevin's um, church to start in in um, Portland, it requires a whole bunch of miracles. People can't do miracles; God has to do them. But you know what? I think where we're getting off track is sometimes we approach Christianity like a business, a business world, and we, we deal with strengths. We use strength finders. We use all kinds of things that show what are our strengths, and we don't use weakness finders. Maybe if we use weakness finders, we would actually be pushing the Church of Jesus Christ ahead. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything we can ask or imagine, according to his power that works within us, the, the next is the capstone. It says, to him be the glory. Because, you know, the cool thing is, when, when man does a, a pseudo-miracle, you know, we go, oh, you know, it was God who did it. But, but when God does a miracle, it's obvious. You don't have to say, it's God who did it. It's obvious that God who did it. I used to have people flying to Toronto because we had, we had this hippie commune that we called it. We had There was 13 people and a dog living in a 1,400 square foot townhouse because we didn't have anything. And we didn't know anybody there. And we just started seeing people come to Christ, our neighbors, very secular people. And, uh, and then this church started. And then this church started discipling up the people and we started launching them out and churches started to come from the church that we started. And uh, all of a sudden there seemed to be something that smelled a bit like a movement was happening. And Pete, I remember pastors coming and flying just to kind of spend some time, to work with us, see what's going on. And they would meet me and you know what the reaction would be almost universally? Huh. <laughs> kind of expect a little more. <laughs> But you see when God does something he gets the glory. You don't have to you don't have to to convince anybody of it. When you're weak and God does something in strength, 1 plus 1 equals God every time. You know, the word the word for glory in English is hard for us to get to, but in the original language it conveys this idea of weight of substance, of of this presence that's there, that you almost have to cut it open with a knife and kind of put your head in it. I mean, it's just really thick. Um, I I, I like when I fly, I, I I fly and I I fly a lot, and so I always get you know bumped upgrades and stuff like that. But I was flying a different airline, and um, and I'm flying from uh, Atlanta to San Diego on an airline that I wasn't, so I had no. No uh, status. And so I get 40B. And um, that's just bad news. I don't care how you look at it. 40B means it's going to be a bad time. Because B means middle row. And you know, you're, you're at the, probably at the toilet row at the back there, you know. And so, so there I'm going, okay, but maybe, maybe God will be gracious to me and I'll have two little bitty girls on either side of me and thinking, that'll be awesome, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Well, no, because San Diego's a marine base. Yeah. Marine A and Marine B on either side of me. So now it's, it's me on the toilet row in the middle with two big Marines beside me and thinking, okay, you know, uh, maybe I'll get some work done at least. And I, but I I, I wasn't going to win the battle of the elbow room. And so, so it's like, okay, can't do that. No laptop. I'll watch a movie, and so I put a movie in and uh, look at the thing, and and there's one called The Notebook, it's under oldies, and uh, The Notebook, have you ever seen The Notebook? If you're a guy, don't admit it, don't admit it, it's a terrible movie, and um, I'm watching The Notebook, I didn't know what I was getting myself into between two Marines, And, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I mean... It's sad, and I'm getting all like, ooh, and and I don't know what to do. I can't be bawling like a baby between two Marines. That'd be bad, you know, And, and so I just sort of incognito unplug from there and pretend I'm still watching, but I can't hear anymore. Get myself under control here. Okay, I'm good. Plug back in. Oh, I went through like three waves of this stuff here, you know, and this is the this is a image the best image I could think of of what Jesus, what Paul is talking about here. To him, be the glory. You can't unplug from it. It overwhelms you. It overwhelms your senses and your emotions, and you just sort of fall down and go, "I don't know how this happened," but God did something. Does the world need to see that kind of church? Does the world need to see that kind of people that don't operate by the world's way, that we are the best, we are the biggest, we are the most awesome, but operates by the kingdom of God's way? We're nothing. We're nothing. But we follow Jesus. And he takes us to places that we couldn't imagine. And look what's going on here. You see, this passage here tells weak people that when God speaks to our faith, we go to him now because he is able, he's got the power to do, not talk, exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you or I could ever ask or imagine Not because, because we're not asking in proportion to our little perspective on this grain of rice but we're act, asking in proportion to the power that is at work within us who spoke and everything was. He then gets the glory and the place of the glory of God is the Church. The world feels the pain of the world's operating system. Everything breaks, nothing works. The church of Jesus Christ should not be working under the world's operating system. We should be a people who, say, who calibrate and say, okay, I'm gonna take a step of faith. I don't know how this is gonna work, but I'm gonna do it and experience God. Take the next step of faith and experience God. And then something cool happens. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's like... And the ripples just continue to go forever and ever and ever. I'll just close with a story. My, uh, there's a picture here. Just go ahead and put that up if you would. It's my family picture when I was just a little guy. That's me. Isn't that cute? In the, I think it's a dress. I'm not sure what my mom has me in. <laughs> 1967. Um, it's my mom, my dad, my older sister, and a uh, little Volkswagen, 1961 Volkswagen Beetle there, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And... Um, my dad, we're family Norwegian immigrants. He had a grade eight education. He worked at Molson's Brewery cleaning beer vats. And uh, he um, got a benefit of his job, union benefit, was he t- took home a case of beer every day. So the fa- our trajectory was just like most in that who worked there. It wasn't good. A lot of alcoholism. And um, some reason... My parents decide they're going to go to a movie, so they hire a babysitter, neighbor lady, to look after us as kids. This is 1967, and, uh, and they're going to go to uh, the Orpheum Theater. Back in those days, one theater, one screen, not multiplexes. You went to whatever they were playing. There was a show called The Restless Ones. They didn't know what it was, but they they went up to the the box office and gave their quarter or whatever it was and uh, and said, oh, no, it's free. Someone's paid for all the seats. Oh, okay. So they go to the movie and uh, they didn't know it was Billy Graham's first movie. And uh, there's a scene in the movie where there's a man and a woman sitting in a convertible car with a top down, the radio on, listening to Billy Graham preach an invitation of response to Jesus Christ. And in the, in the movie, the actor and the actress pray and, um, and ask for forgiveness of their sin and that King Jesus would be their Lord. During that scene, my dad gra- grabs my mom's hands and they're holding each other's hands during that scene. And the Holy Spirit is doing something inside them, their hearts. And uh, then the movie comes to an end, and the lights come up bright, which is odd for a movie, and, and a man comes up to the front, and he's wearing a suit, and he again issues an altar call, saying, anybody, perhaps you have saw this movie, and you want to respond to Jesus Christ? You want to uh, ask him to forgive you of your sin, and make him the Lord of your life, and you'd like to come and do that right now? And my parents looked at each other, and they thought that was kind of odd, and No one seemed to be moving. People were kind of looking at each other. And then eventually the man said, okay, thanks for coming, everybody. Have a great day. And so they left, and they went into that Volkswagen Beetle in the parking lot, and they started talking about what they had just experienced. And they had enough information from the altar call that they didn't respond to to pray inside their Volkswagen for forgiveness of sin and handed their life to Christ. And God's spirit started moving inside them. And they started to have a hunger for him and for his word. And, uh, and they found this church plant that was in Prince Albert. Some of you might have heard of the Pastor Henry Blackaby. It was this little thing. And, uh, and it wasn't much. It wasn't a big thing. But uh, it was this church that saw its responsibility as the gospel needs to go everywhere. And so people would come to Christ. And when they did, no, nobody stayed really there. But they Said, okay, how about this town or this village or this native reservation? How do we bring the gospel there? And, uh, and so, our discipleship path that we had was, was a bunch of weak people who weren't very good at anything were going out and doing this. And we were seeing Bible studies started and churches started, and we didn't even know what we were doing. And uh, you fast forward that story 35 years. And my dad had long quit Molson's Brewery and he started a welding business and became a successful businessman. He was invited to be on the steering committee for a Franklin Graham crusade that was going to be happen in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And, um, and so they're in this, this big hotel, round tables, people around them. The guy who was in charge had a podium up front and he said, okay, now, um, before we go any further, why don't we just have a time of testimony? Why don't you just share how the ministry of Dr. Graham has impacted your life. And my dad, who's a tradesman and doesn't like to speak in public, his heart was just going. And, uh, and he was the first one up. Now. <laughs> he came to the podium and he shared the story of the movie. And he said, the little boy and that little girl, um, now... The little girl is in South America and her and her husband are planting churches through the Andes Mountains and in and, uh, and that little boy, he's planted churches in Canada and the last church is multiplied into lots of churches and, and I don't know how many people are in the kingdom of God because Helen and I went to the movie that day. My dad went and sat down. People were just, hey, that was awesome story, awesome. Next guy gets up and he's just weeping. He's an old man, and he's shuffling his way. He doesn't come to the podium. He comes to my dad, and he just collapses on him, and he says, Alan, my name is Tom Dice. I'm a businessman, and I put that movie on in Prince Albert in 1967. And I stood in front of that theater of people every day and issued a response to Christ and no one ever, ever responded. And I thought for all this time I was a failure. But praise the Lord, I see. He has tears running down his eyes. My dad's got tears running down his eyes. They're hugging each other and they're beginning to see something that we don't often get to see because every once in a while it looks like, you know God lets us look under the curtain of eternity. And we can see how our faith has produced something. But most of the time, we don't. Most of the time, our perspective on this grain of rice is, is so small, we can't even see it. So by faith, we go to him when he speaks to our weakness. Because he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything that we could ask or imagine, because it's his power that's at work within us, not ours. And he gets the glory in the church, and it points to Christ Jesus. It lasts forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So some of you, no doubt, are weak. And you know it. And God has spoken to your heart different times. And it's easy to come up with excuses when we use the world's operating system. But maybe God's saying, today use my operating system. Glory in your weakness. Glory in it. It might be the greatest strength you'll ever have. Trust me. There's going to be lots of opportunities for you to get involved in kingdom things that you don't have enough money for, enough spare time for. You don't have enough talent for. But maybe God wants to take you there anyway.